Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there. It's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Today's show is about daddy issues, not the kind you typically hear about, but the ones that single dads face raising kids, particularly daughters. A recent article on the It's Over Easy Insights blog details five tips for dads, written by featured writer Lewis Perkins, a certified financial planner and father of two. My dad, Dennis Wasser, shares his tips today. Hi, Dad. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Would you like to tell our listeners why it is that my initials are L-A-W? Well, I always wanted a child that would be a lawyer, so we named you Laura Allison Wasser. The initials stand for law, and you have never disappointed me in that, <laughs> in that realm. And my dad went to the University of Southern California Gould School of Law. As you guys know, I went to Loyola Law School here in Los Angeles, um, I joined this firm in 1995. I was 26 and had just graduated from law school, and the first divorce I got was my own. I had gotten married in 25, and before that I was working at a disability rights law firm fighting for handrails and public bathrooms and that sort of thing. And then about a year after my very elaborate wedding at the Bel Air Hotel, my ex and I realized that it probably wasn't going to work. So I went to my dad and said, hey, I think we're splitting up. And he said, well, you're a lawyer. Deal with it, right? Yes, and I also said there aren't going to be any more expensive weddings. And there were no more weddings at all, were there? No more weddings. So let's talk about the early days when I first came to work here. Well, the early days were tough for you because I didn't want to play favorites. I knew you were smart, but I wasn't sure that you would catch on to what we do in family law, and so I had one of my partners mentor you. He was a very rough, tough guy, and I had to watch him uh, with you under his thumb, and you received some pretty harsh treatment from him, but you <laughs> learned. He used to feel the hood of my car when he got here in the morning, and if it was warm, he knew that I had gotten here recently as well, and he would give me hell when he got upstairs. Also, God forbid I would leave the office to go to the restroom or anything because he'd stand out in the hallway and say, where the hell is Laura Wasser? Did she go on another vacation or leave early because her dad's the boss? Yeah, he felt that he had the right to uh, be tougher with you than with anybody else, and he was, and you learned well. I did. So what propelled you into law? Please tell our listeners. Well, uh, I always wanted to be a lawyer, and I realized I wanted to be a family law lawyer because it was way more exciting than regular law, civil law, and transactional law where you do wills or contracts tends to be boring. And then in 1981, I represented Billie Jean King against her girlfriend in what's called now a galimony case. Uh, the girlfriend sued her for money 
And um, it was a great, great case, which we won. And ever since that time, I have been doing uh, some very high-profile family law-type cases. And when we talk about high-profile, it's not just our clients. It's that people are interested in seeing what happens in these salacious divorces, particularly with Billie Jean King, because it kind of forced her to come out of the closet as a lesbian, and it was on the front of every newspaper in the world at the time. Tell us how things have changed during the time you've been practicing law, just in terms of media and publicity. And because in California, where we practice family law, or at least uh, divorce proceedings are public, everybody knows everything, and that's why they can follow us to the courtroom and get us on the street and ask us questions about our clients, even if we don't answer. Tell us how it's changed during your 50 years of practice. Well, first, with respect to the media, we have tried in this firm to keep things secret. We have also tried to go to the courts and ask them to keep things secret, but because we live near Hollywood, or in Hollywood, um, divorces have to be covered by every media outlet, and every high-profile divorce is a media event from TMZ to CBS to NBC, et cetera, et cetera. But the way things have changed is we have uh, so much equipment now that can speed things up with the cell phones and the computers. Everything has to be instantly done, and it's tough for people. People going through divorces need to give responses fairly quickly and the same with their lawyers. So not only has have things been speeded up, but they've become much more contentious than they were when I first started practicing. And tell us about some of the changes gender-wise. I mean, we so, see so many more female breadwinners, though, now than we used to. I, I know that in my 20-some-odd years of practice, that's definitely changed. But going back to the 60s when you were first practicing, how different is it now in terms of child custody and, and equal time and support and that kind of stuff? Well, just to start, there were three women in my class of 200. Now, roughly the classes coming from law school are 50-50. In our firm, we have 20 lawyers. Five of them are male and 15 are female. In, term, in terms of the... He says uh, depressedly. Yeah, we, we, we tried. Um, in terms of the cases, uh, in the early days, in the 1960s, 1970s, even into the 80s, if you were a mother of children, you got custody of the children, especially young children. Nowadays, the court is trying to do what the law says, which is to try to achieve a 50-50 type relationship. Things are much more psychologically oriented now than they were. And um, uh, it seems to me that they, they have become much more contentious as well. For our listeners who don't know, in California where we practice, we use the community property scheme of law, which basically means that from the day you get married, everything that you earn or create is community property and would be divided right down the middle if the parties were to split. Do you find that community property is an equitable way of doing law? Yes, it's an equitable way of doing law, uh, doing a divorce to split up the assets. The problem, of course, turns out to be the intricacies involved in that. You don't. If people ask me, how do you split a car? How do you split a house? Uh, bank accounts are easy to split, but when you start splitting assets such as businesses, it becomes much more complicated. And so divorce has become a very complicated field. And I just want to throw in one added issue, and that is that divorce lawyers are 
like general practitioners in medicine, divorce lawyers have to know tax, they have to know real estate, they have to know corporate law, they have to know estate planning. So they have to be well-versed in every facet of the law, whereas people that just practice in one area do not have to do that. So it's, it's a very challenging area. Mr. Wasser is the founding member of Wasser, Cooperman & Mandel. He's been practicing family law since 1968 and is best known for being my dad. Ha! Seriously, though, like me, my dad represents people who get divorced. From pro bono cases for parties who can't afford to hire an attorney to wealthy, high-profile business owners, corporate executives, professional athletes, lawyers, doctors, accountants, actors, motion picture and television executives. I started my career representing entertainment lawyers in their divorces, and those people, um, the ones that were happy with me, and luckily most of them, referred their clients to me, and so I started uh, representing a lot of their clients who happened to be entertainment people, lawyers, doctors, etc. And you've been practicing family law for 50 years, correct? Yes, which is about the same age I am, correct? It is It is about the same age you are, correct. And for our listeners who aren't aware, there's basically two um, estate schemes that we have in family law. One is community property, which, as I explained, is a division of assets right down the middle from the date of marriage until the date of separation. And the other, for example, in New York State, is equitable distribution. Tell us a little bit about how that differs from community property, Dad. Well, I have noticed that the equitable distribution states like New York have become much more like California's system the courts believe in in those states, I think, that doing equity means to divide things pretty much 50-50. In the old days, uh, equitable distribution used to be the judge determined which side the judge liked and, that, and then would do equity, meaning give that person more. And and people also were punished in states that had fault. If If a person had an affair, then they were punished in those states by the court doing equity by meaning that the wrong party was given more. Things have now become way more rational, and in equitable distribution states, a lot of the case law follows the California law, even though they call it equitable distribution instead of a 50-50 split. And since you are um, one of the few practitioners that was actually alive when they still had fault as opposed to no fault, which means you can't run into court and tell the judge, he cheated on me and therefore I should get more, or she was sleeping with the kid's baseball coach and therefore I should get more, um, we've done away with that in all 50 states now. But do you remember when that first changed? And can you tell us a little bit what it was like practicing in the days of fault? Yeah, in, in California, the law changed in 1970. I started practicing in 1968. And my first cases had to do with hiring detectives who would follow the person that was doing the bad deeds, getting photographs of that person and introducing them in, into the court. So um, in those days, family law was handled by personal injury lawyers and criminal lawyers because they knew who the detectives were, they knew who the police were, and they were able to do it. When the law changed in 1970, family law became a business case, and you didn't talk about fault anymore, and you talked about taxes and valuations, etc. The problem is that this 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 concept hasn't gone out to the public. A lot of people still think 
that if they catch their husbands or wives cheating, that they should get more, and they and they feel that they should punish the other side. That law was abandoned in 1970, in California anyway, later in some of the other states. And so if you think about that, listeners, if it was abandoned in California where we practiced in 1970, and now we're in 2018, why is it, how is it possible that I still have clients coming into me and saying, he cheated and therefore we want to punish him? How has that not gotten out there? One of the reasons that we created It's Over Easy is because we want to change the face of divorce. We want people to take responsibility for their actions, for their dissolutions, for their children, and figure out what works best for them rather than running to some judge and being punitive. But again, they often say the law is the last thing to change. I think often our perception of the law is the last thing to change. What we want to do at It's Over Easy and with the Divorce Sucks podcast is change the way people look at divorce. We're not promoting divorce, but it's happening. And when it does, we want to help people do it in a reasonable, rational way that keeps your family a family, even if you're living in a different incarnation of family. Now, one thing that people learn, and sometimes it's the hard way, is that going through a divorce that is contentious is a very expensive proposition, even for people that don't have a lot of assets. They will spend their money on lawyers. And what uh, Laura's company is, is attempting to do is to ameliorate that, make the cost lessen, take the acrimony the 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 anger out of divorce the the emotion out of divorce and let the people work together with the company to do something inexpensively so they can save the mon- money for their children and themselves and themselves. Spend it on therapy. Spend it on a great vacation. Don't spend it on us family law attorneys. We're doing okay. Nice suit, Dad. Thank you. But one of my one of the points that I really, really want our listeners to hear is that regardless of how many assets you have, if there's a way of amicably resolving the business and financial issues in your case, do so. And the money that's left over, you can begin healing. You can go to the therapy that you need to go to. We are not saying divorce is easy. We are saying that the legal and financial aspects of it in 90% of the cases is. If you can't do it that way, absolutely retain an attorney. Complex litigation may indeed be necessary. But for most of us, that's not the way it is. Speaking of most of and, us, and before you go on to the next point, even in cases that start out in a contentious way that come to us, we really try to figure out a way to make it amicable, to have the parties getting along, because it's best for them financially, emotionally, psychologically, and it's best for the children. So we promote that in this firm. We really try to help people to get together and try to do something rational instead of just fight with each other. Sometimes you just can't do that. Speaking of kids, let's have a frank father-daughter discussion about raising kids to be successful in this day and age, including the ways of the past, no computers, and present with computers, iPads, phones, and other annoying devices. Yeah, the devices don't really concern me that much, I, I guess because I came late to the devices. What concerns me is... Uh, my own philosophy about child-rearing, and as I've told you many times, I think that a parent can only give their children two things, wings and roots. And once you've done that, for the most part, your job is done. Uh, I tend to be much more a disciplinarian 
than you and your brother with your kids, and I watch in horror at times <laughs> what the kids do. Uh, and, but when they're with me, they behave. But uh, I think what's important is to give them a framework from which they can run their lives. And for co-parenting, parents that are not together, I got a very good example even though I was older when you and mom split, but the civility and the respect and the united front that you guys presented to Andrew and to me as we were growing up is exactly what I counsel our clients to do. It's exactly what we talk about on our website in our content section, and it's what I do with the two dads of my two kids. How did you come to that? Because that seems pretty revolutionary for your generation. I realized early on, and I see it really every day in the practice of law, people say that they're doing what they're doing for the benefit of the children. That's absolutely untrue. People use their children as pawns in a divorce case, and it's really awful, and it really hurts not only the children, but it hurts them individually. And what they really need to do, if you want some good advice, is they really need to, if they can't act civilly in front of their children, then they have to pretend to be civil. They cannot have the animosity flowing from their relationship. I'm talking about the husband and wife or the husband and husband or the wife and the wife. They can't have it flowing to the um, children and and. When people talk about divorce doing damage, it isn't the divorce itself that does the damage. It is the way the participants act in front of their children that does the damage. And if you want to take one tip from this podcast, it is to try to be civil in front of the children in order that they may grow up to be uh, good adults and not traumatized by what the parents do to them during the divorce. Tell us, if you will, what was who was the client, if, and you don't have to say who it was, but who has been the most uh, repeat, uh, not offender, but repeat business for our firm. Oh, we've had several who get divorced, then they remarry, then they get divorced again, and they remarry. I've had one that did it four times. And finally, the last time that she called me, and these are very wealthy individuals, last time she called me, I said, why don't you just avoid the whole trauma of the divorce, just give me a check for what I would have charged, stay with your husband, and, <laughs> and you know, be happy. She took my advice, except I didn't get the check. <laughs> so we hear that 50% of, divorce, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Is that actually true? And I'm talking the United States, not just California. Well, it's probably less than 50% across the nation. My guess is that it's close to 50% in California, and in second and third marriages, it's clearly over 50%. And one thing I always say about second and third marriages, even though I have my second marriage, uh, is that tis the triumph of hope over experience. And what we caution our people to do is you're in love now, uh, but maybe a year from now or five years from now you won't be. So we caution our clients to do prenuptial agreements, and we've been pretty successful with convincing people to do those to protect the assets so that you can go into the thing with your eyes, the thing meaning the marriage, with your eyes open. Um, I don't think statistics are important for the majority of people. I think what's important is that there's a lot of work that goes into a divorce. There isn't a lot of legal work that goes into a marriage. You don't even need to see a lawyer to get married. You just go and get a marriage license and a blood test, 
and you get married. And then to unwind that, to unravel that, is legally cumbersome. So I would caution people, uh, if you're going to get married, and, and less people are getting married now than ever, but if you're going to get married, think about it carefully. Do some planning, especially financial planning, and think about what you're getting into. Uh, maybe observe a divorce or maybe rent the movie War of the Roses, which was one of our <laughs> cases, because uh, unraveling what has occurred is legally difficult and very costly. Do you believe in the institution of marriage? Oh, absolutely. I think marriage is great, especially if you're going to raise a family. I know it gives people comfort, and there are protections in the law for people to get married. If you're not married and you're living together, you better have some type of living together agreement so the deal is put in writing and you don't get a big surprise at the end of 10 years of living together that you have no rights under the law. So my advice to people is whether you're married or whether you're living together, make sure to consult a lawyer or a financial planner so that you know what you're doing when you start the, the, uh, the marriage or the living together. So I know what you just said is going to prompt some questions from some of our listeners. Ten years in terms of living together, that was just a random number that you picked. There's no yeah. such thing as common law marriage in California. Right. Believe it or not, it was um, abrogated or, or, or it was terminated uh, before the 1900s. And they did away with common law. And so people think that if they live together for seven years, they're married. They're not. If you don't have a marriage license, you're not married. If you're living together, make sure that you have some type of agreement, preferably in writing, that defines the deal between the two of you. And we find more times than than not, the people start discussing the deal, and they realize that they are looking at the marriage from completely different vantage points, and they do not agree on things, and, and that's where you have problems. So do it at the outset of the relationship. So isn't what you're saying then, Dad, that communication is so important in a relationship and having the terms of your deal, even though that doesn't sound romantic or sexy, is really, really important towards the maintenance of the relationship because both people should be on the same page and have an understanding of each other's expectations getting into any relationship. Yeah, well, when you say the same page, absolutely. There should be at least a page, but preferably 10 pages. <laughs> And the pages should say what the deal is. If you come to the marriage with your own money, does that stay your own money or is it going to be shared? If you earn money during the marriage, is that going to be yours or it's going to be shared? If you live together, is the money going to be shared? If you inherit money and you're not married, what is the deal with the inheritance? If you buy a home and it's financed by the parents of one of the parties, what is the deal on, on the down payment? Is that to be paid back? Is it a gift? Is it to be shared? And you find out more often than not that people are not on the same page or the same 10 pages. They have a different view of what they're getting into. And when they finally realize that, that's where you have the problems, especially if children are introduced into the equation. 
And one of the things that we really are trying to do at It's Over Easy is educate people, give them information. The fact that, that, that common law marriage was terminated in the 1900s and that fault, merit, fault situations were terminated in 1970 and that people don't know that in 2018 strikes me as problematic. So we really have lots of information up on our content page. We're ripping back the velvet curtain and we're letting people understand what the law is in their state and how they can apply it to their situation who are more amicable, reasonable, and cost-effective separation. People ask me all the time, do your parents, did your parents mind that you had kids with guys to whom you were not married? And I always say no, but in listening to you talk, I want to make sure that's correct. Do you think it's important for a couple to be married before they start a family? No, no, no. I think it's important for a couple to have an agreement to be on the same page before they have children, to understand what the ramifications are of having children. You don't just have children. You have to provide for the children. Is there a deal between the two parties that if they break up, they'll both support the children? Do they have a deal as to the religion that they'll be raised in? We had a case where one party was Catholic, one party was Jewish. And when they broke up, we had a court battle for a week very costly as to how the children were going to be raised. Discuss those things first. Discuss what happens if one of the parties dies. Where does the money go? Uh, what security do you have to provide for the person you're living with or for the children? What insurance do you have? We find many, many times people come in here, they don't have life insurance, and they have two little kids. And, and so what I'm saying is make sure that the deal, that the agreement, that the arrangement is discussed beforehand and talked about. Then if you get married and and you're bound by the laws, you can have different deals. In other words, you can decide to not have the law apply to you, and you can have your own deal. The important point is make sure the deal is discussed, and if you can Uh, record it somehow on paper. You don't have to record it with any formal agency, but have it. Put it in the drawer. Have copies where you can get to it. My dad is one of the main inspirations for creating itsovereasy.com. He and my mom got divorced when I was 16, and they co-parented amicably for the rest of my life. It's because of them and my own experience co-parenting with my son's fathers that I know divorce doesn't have to destroy your family or your bank account. Another question that I get asked a lot is, you know, your dad, he's this dashing ladies man. He, you know, he was really out there in the 70s and 80s. Was it difficult being a, a young member of his firm with the whole Me Too movement that's gone on right now? What are your feelings? I know that there's 15 female attorneys at this firm and only five male. So, you know, if we had a battle, we could probably crush you guys. But what do you think as you sit back and you watch what's happening right now, both in Hollywood and in the business sector with the Me Too movement? Well, what I'm watching is that the concepts that we have – Um, i.e. the men in this firm and the women in this firm, are pretty much synchronized, meaning that we're on the same page. uh, There aren't men chasing women around the firm. There aren't women chasing men around the firm. There's a mutual respect. And I think what has happened is that men have started uh, to respect women in this field, uh, whether it's been brought about by force or, or just... 
uh, because of common sense. That is what has happened. So people in this firm treat each other with respect, and there aren't really gender issues. There's some, we joke about it at times, you know, where they say, well, the women could outvote us, but but there really isn't a group of the five men that would vote the same way, uh, all five anyway. So, uh, yes, times have changed because in the old days, what is happening now out in the press with all of these sexual harassment allegations and rape allegations and horrible conduct allegations and and the comments... Uh, it happened during my day, but nobody commented about it. It was bad behavior, sometimes rude behavior, but nobody said anything about it. Now if somebody does that, people say it, uh, people point it out, and it is rude. It is uh, not something that is appropriate, especially in our firm and hopefully in most firms. And do you feel that in the legal field women have been historically paid less than men in your in your experience in my experience definitely so uh, when we started our firm we started it in um, the 1970s but we became a firm which is the predecessor to this firm in 1981 and we had uh, one woman partner and uh, she came in and said you know I would like to be paid like everybody else and I said you know what you're right and so we changed it but women were paid less that's women, the classic example, Sandra Day O'Connor on the United States, who was on the United States Supreme Court and a wonderful, wonderful justice, uh, she could not get a job when she came out of law school because there weren't jobs for women. And in this town, that uh, was the same through the 50s and 60s. It was really the late 60s and the early 70s where women started working for most of the firms and things changed. Have you been on itsovereasy.com? Yes, I have. And what do you think? Do you think we're oversimplifying? Do you think the time is right for something like this? I think that I think that, well, the reason I think the time is right is I think that people finally realize that they have to have an amicable divorce. Not that it makes sense to do not that it's just more pleasant it makes sense economically and people that represent themselves or that hire a lawyer and there's fighting they are going to suffer and and there are some cases where you can't avoid that we have cases here that cannot be resolved but for the average run of the mill case and i'm talking about across the united states 90, 95% of the cases should be resolved, and it's necessary to have a company like It's Over Easy to guide you through it because the legal maze is too confusing. I was on the computer today trying to get airline tickets. <laughs> that was confusing for me. I can imagine somebody my age trying to go through divorce without being shepherded through the forms. And the thing that I like about over, It's Over Easy when I checked it was it explains which forms you're supposed to use when. And people that go downtown and represent themselves do not have a clue unless you go to a site like It's Over Easy. I'm not sure that I've ever said this to you before, but you really are the inspiration for It's Over Easy. And the reason why is this. Not only raising me the way you and mom did in terms of really, really showing a path to, you know, fairness and, and talking things through rationally, but then the way you guys handled yourselves when you split, 
then the way that you practice as an attorney and how you taught me always to be resolution-oriented and try to figure things out, when I wrote my book in 2013, It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, was based on you. And actually, the, the acknowledgement was to you and mom saying, because you gave me roots and you gave me wings. And then really, again, synthesizing all that you've taught me my entire life, but certainly as an attorney, and turning that into It's Over Easy, I really have you to thank for it. And, I, and, and our listeners and our users have you to thank as well, because without pioneers in terms of resolution and mediation like you, we wouldn't have It's Over Easy and we would all just kind of be muddling around trying to figure out how to do it. So I want to thank you for that. Well, in addition to the thanks, I want all your listeners to write in and I urge you then to give me a big share of the profits. <laughs> so as a diversion, I'm going to ask you the four, the four um, divorce sucks questions. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. What is your favorite breakup song, Dad? Uh, breaking up is hard to do. Who's it by? Oh, uh, of course I know that. <laughs> Neil Sedaka. <laughs> All right, Neil Sedaka, break it up as hard to do. Are you single, dating, or married currently? I am married. I have been married twice, once to your mother for 20 years and to my current wife for 22 and a half years. Well done. And what would you say, Dad, to cheer someone up going through a breakup? I would say that what people have to do is, is continue to keep your sense of humor Watch comedy if you can, uh, try to laugh, and try to the extent that you can to see the humor in divorce. And there is humor. I have a, a case right now where the client has gone from a successful businessman to become a comic. He doesn't need the money, but he enjoys it, and he is talking about all of the things that come across my desk in terms of funny stuff. And, Dad, do you know what a rom-com is? Absolutely. No idea. <laughs> romantic comedy. Ah, yes, I okay, know what so that is. what romantic comedy could you watch over and over without ever getting tired of it? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because this morning when I was working out, I watched Harry's, uh, second ch- Harry's Last Chance. And not only was it a nice comedy with Dustin Hoffman, and Emma Thompson, but there was a scene in there that was very poignant between Harry, Dustin Hoffman, and his daughter when he attended his daughter's wedding. So it was the first time I'd watched it, but I could watch it many, many more times. Fathers can be the first important man in a child's life. In today's post-Weinstein world, daughters raised by woke dads are the future, and I credit my dad for giving me roots and wings and never even allowing for the possibility that I could not do anything and everything boys could, but better. We just um, we went off for a moment and explained to my dad what Instagram is and um, told him that we've actually had some questions come in on our Instagram feed. So one of them is from at Natalie Faye. Thank you, Natalie Faye. And your question was, uh, do either of you ever get emotionally involved in your cases? I do, but I try not to show it if I do. I don't think that uh, divorce is any place for a lawyer to show emotion. But, yeah, I get involved. I've had cases where I've gone home and cried. I've had cases where I've gone home and laughed. I've, I've had a lot of emotional reactions to the cases, but I never show it in front of a client. 
And um, the other question that we got in, what is the difference between an annulment and a divorce? I know there's a myth that you can get an annulment if you've been married for less than a year. Again, that is a myth. It has nothing to do with the timing. Tell our listeners, Dad, what an annulment actually is and how somebody can obtain one, how they qualify. It's very difficult to qualify for an annulment. Uh, And it doesn't have to do with time. It has to do more with grounds. For example, if you're already married and you marry somebody else, you probably can get the second marriage annulled because you were never married. An annulment, what an annulment does is it destroys the marriage from the beginning as if you were never married. And um, if you found out that your spouse defrauded you in some way, but it has to be uh, something probably early on in the marriage where you find out you've been defrauded and in an awful way your husband is diseased or your husband uh, has been uh, in jail for 20 years or something significant. There was actually a case that I read about where your husband was actually a woman. And that was the fraud, that a, a woman married a, a man who she thought was a man, and actually the, the gender that the that the man was born to was a woman, and the court said, that might have been something that you should have mentioned to your wife. Yeah, I, I, uh, I could go on and on talking about the cases, but in 50 years I've had exactly four annulment cases, and um, they are few and far between. Uh, Some people, because of their religious affiliations, have to get an annulment, but it's not easy to get an an annulment, and um, uh, uh, don't try unless you have great grounds, and you need to check the grounds first. I think the grounds for annulment are fraud, as Dennis mentioned. Also, um, if you haven't consummated the marriage, that actually is a reason that you could get an annulment. Um, If you're mentally incompetent, if you're declared incompetent, you shouldn't have been able to get married in the first place. That would ruin it, too. Um, so those are, and also if you're not of age, if you, again, that might fall under fraud or it just might fall under not being able to get married. If you are not of age at the time, then that, that marriage could be annulled as yeah, well. Yeah, when people come to me and say, I want an annulment, I generally say, forget about it. Often people will come and say, well, I was unsound, mentally unsound, because I was drunk. And I think back in the day, those annulments would go through a little bit more easily. But now I've had judicial officers say, hey, you might have been too drunk to care, but you certainly weren't too drunk to know. I'm not granting the annulment. Get a divorce in the normal course. And some people do that after 20 years. They say, I was (laughs) drunk at the time I got married. And the judge will say, well, you know, congratulations, but you're not going to get an annulment. My dad has been a super lawyer beginning in 2004 and every year since running. He is a member of the AAML, or American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, and in 2017, he was inducted into the American College of Trial Lawyers, which is a huge, huge honor, and I don't believe there's any other family law attorneys that are part of this amazing group. Dennis has achieved success in and out of the courtroom, and he is recognized as one of the leading family law attorneys in the United States. Thanks, Dad. I'm glad I was able to let you know that you are the inspiration for It's Over Easy, the one-stop total resource for people before, during, and after divorce. This has been a terrific episode. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, Laura. It's been fun to participate with you and watch you come of age. (laughs) Stay up to date with us on Instagram at It's Over Easy, and you'll never guess who we're courting for the next episode of Divorce Sucks. I promise it's not a family member. Well, at least not one of mine. Divorce sucks, but it doesn't have to be that way at itsovereasy.com 
online divorce available now. Thank you to my guest and my dad, Dennis Wasser.